Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friend, Tim Miller, and sitting in for my other best friend, Sarah Longwell, is an actual real world friend, close friend of mine, Sonny Bunch, also of The Bulwark. Hello, boys. Hey, boys. Hi. We now have a trial date preliminarily uh, in the Jack Smith federal election overturning case distinct from the other three cases, because we now have to keep track of the criminal indictments against the former president of the United States. And uh, he says he's going to appeal and that the judge is very unfair. I don't even know where to start, except that I assume that it's all bad and that nothing good can come for America. To change of this. Oh, I was going to say bad for who? Because I think it's actually pretty good for Trump. Right. Sure. Trump gets to go out there and say, look, no. they've indicted me and they're trying to do it right before Super Tuesday. They're putting their thumb on the scale. You got to vote for me. And I think that appeal works with the GOP base, which is one reason why I'm so depressed all the time. I have to disagree with that. I mean, I think that he very badly did not want to have this trial this year, as evidenced by the fact that they asked for it to happen in 2026. I think that there are certain bad elements that we can talk about. I, I agree with Sonny, the take that, you know, having this the day before Super Tuesday, the intuitive take might be like, not great, you know, when you should be flying around to Denver and Nashville and you know, all the cities that have Super Tuesday primaries and doing your final rallies, like you would think you'd want to be doing that, not uh, submitting and raising your right hand in front of Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C., you know, as you, as you sit docile as you're forced to be docile and you know forced to be like a dog <laughs> can they make him wear a collar in a courtroom can they make him wear a collar wear a, maybe a sub collar that would be nice uh so you would think that would be bad but i, I at some level especially you know we'll get into the timing of the primary a little in, in a second but like especially if people feel you know that, that, that he's already going to be the nominee it's going to bind them to him even more you know around this trial date that said not great. I mean, not, I, there was a world in which he was going to be able to avoid all this, right? I and mean, they they got the very friendly judge in Florida that is, you know, we assume going to keep pushing this thing back and, and keep pushing it back. Uh, uh, canon. Uh, the Georgia thing, very serious threat. But, you know, doing a RICO case during the election uh, seems logistically challenging. With 19 the, defendants, yeah, that's, the, yeah, years. Yeah, the New York case is pretty, weak, you know, relatively weak. I was for bringing it on the merits, but still relatively weak, I think, is a political matter. Um, it's, this one is a real political threat. And for him to have to spend the period between locking down the nomination and being nominated in this courtroom, it's not good. It's not good for him. We are in such unprecedented territory that I don't think you can say for sure one way or the other whether it's good or bad. I just don't I, – I, I, all I can say is that I look at how the GOP base has reacted to Donald Trump's various legal travails so far, and I say nothing so far has hurt him. I don't see any reason why this will hurt him. Well, sure, with the base. But I'm talking about with my father. I'm talking about – sorry to bring you into this, Dad. But I'm talking about with, you know, <laughs> your casual – your 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 Republican person who is kind of tired of this, right? Like the again, it's not enough in the primary, but you know, you add up the Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Asa, all those guys, Mike Pence, all those people's vote together, you get to about twenty percent. Like what for those twenty percent of people? You know, is it going to help bring them aboard the Trump train ahead of the Milwaukee convention to spend eight weeks being reminded of how he tried to end? the world's longest running democracy? I kind of don't think so. Yeah, I don't know, man. I 
the amount of Biden hatred that I see, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy saying that Joe Biden needs to be imprisoned for life and Donald Trump needs to be pardoned for, for all of his alleged crimes. And and that's I, how you depoliticize the Justice Department. Yeah, that's, and that's how If there's any questions, that is how to depoliticize the Justice Department. I don't know, man. Sonny, what do you think? I would say if you're looking for good news, you can look at the public opinion polling around the January 6th committee hearings which did move independent numbers on the question of January 6th. Well, so the, we're talking about two different things here, right? I'm talking about right. the primary. I, I don't think this hurts him at all in the primary. I think it helps him in the primary. In the general, if it peels off, if it convinces 20% of independents to remain never Trump and stick with Biden, I think that is reasonable, a reasonable assumption. And maybe that helps get Biden over the finish line. This is all assuming that Biden is still the nominee. I mean, JBL, you talked in your newsletters, you kind of game planned out the various situations in which he is not the nominee. And they're all very bad for the Democrats, I think. I don't think any of them makes a lot of sense. And in the general, I think it hurts him because it hurts him with the independence. In the GOP primary, I think it helps him. And I think it helps cement his position as the GOP nominee until he is dead because he's going to keep being nominated and keep losing. And now there we concur. But let me be uh, rain cloud wants to be sunshine here for a second. You have to give credit. Uh, we have this Judge Chutkin baller. OK, points, you know, girl boss. Is that is that misogynistic to call a judge that? You know, or is that kind of cool know, among the Zoomers? I don't know either. So people report back. Well, let me know. If we're that just going to cancel you just to be safe. Yeah, just let me know. <laughs> just let me know in the comments if that was not cool. But she is holding the line on this stuff. And Trump's legal team. Now, I'm just, you know, I'm like the Lionel Hutz of, of, of lawyer, uh, you know, <laughs> I, of legal commentators. So I don't are his really lawyers. Know. Exactly. And so I, I know one when I see one is my point. And like his lawyers are god awful. And he has the, the woman lawyers going on TV, like making the prosecution's case for them about why this should be a speedy trial <laughs> while they are uh, making motions in court about how they should be delaying this. I do not expect that he is going to have a very sterling defense now, we're not going to have the cameras in the courtroom, but there is this drip, drip, drip of news. Again, I just need to keep bringing back up the word surrender like a dog. And he's going to be in the custody of the court for certain hours of the day. He's going to be obligated to be there. Um, this is not an alpha male position. This goes against his whole personal brand. I mean, I think that there's a lot to like about that, about that eight to 12 weeks, um, between, assuming that the trial date holds. I know JVL thinks there's nothing to like. It's all disaster ahead. It's hard but to I say. think I'm just going to kind of sit on the couch with a big bag of popcorn and kind of enjoy the news trickling out. And, and I, I think that, the, that for casuals, it's not, it's not great. What do you guys make of the proposition put forward by a couple different conservative commentators oh, that actually all of this is really going to help Trump with black voters because they really identify with people who are mugshotted and accused criminals, which is the, going a different direction with that. The most racist thing I've heard in a very long time, or at least a week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did, did you see, we should almost insert it. Did, did you, you see this? The Jesse Waters. The mugshot has breathed new life into the Trump campaign and broadened his appeal to black Americans. Over the weekend, with the help of mugshot merchandise, the Trump campaign raked in over $7 million. Today, my garbage man told me he's buying mugshot t-shirts for everyone he knows this Christmas. Two 
primetime Fox hosts on back-to-back nights had chance encounters with black people who told them, supposedly, that (laughs) they were really impressed by Donald Trump's mugshot. I I mean, okay, what are just the odds that two Fox primetime commentators talk to a black person in a given day? I mean, very low. (laughs) And we need to get Nate Nate Silver on here, but I just, I don't think that they have a lot of day-to-day encounters with black people. Um, In Jesse's case, the black person in question was his trash collector. So if this is a true story, good on Jesse. If it's a if it's a false story, I think this is very unlikely. Have you ever spoken to your trash collector? This is what I'm just imagining Jesse Waters going out there with his coffee mug, you know, hey trash man, what's going on? Like does he know the the trash man? The only time I've ever spoken to my trash collector was when I forgot to put out the can and they drove down the the street and I was like, you know, rolling my can a block down the street, screaming at them, please wait, please help. I cannot have this stinky trash in my garage one more week. And they they're very kind, but we didn't talk politics. They're also busy. You know, they're moving along the street. They're very kind to wait for me. I don't see that happening. The other instance was Raymond Arroyo, who is totally straight. No questions there. I just want to let you know. I have a very keen gaydar, and that man loves. Straight as a rail. <laughs> yes. Oh, he loves the, yeah. he he just, loves he the loves poontang. He loves to go he? down mm. on women. Mm. Yeah, he just he thinks about it all day long. Can't he help He likes himself. having sexual relations with women. <laughs> he really does. Raymond Arroyo. Google him if you don't know him. He's uh, Laura Ingram's uh, kind of side queen. Uh, anyway, in his case... Um, he was speaking to a woman who said that, at a, I believe at a coffee shop here in New Orleans, who said that now Orleans Parish went 85% for Joe Biden last time. And so I, I think he's really finding a needle in the haystack here. <laughs> uh, but he finds a woman who thought that the mugshot was gangsta. Gangsta. I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's still the kind of term of art. I don't think people say that anymore. That's more like a 1995, yeah. 1992. Hello, <laughs> Cool J rap era, maybe. Yeah. But that's his story, and he's sticking to it. Um, so, I, you know, maybe these guys are seeing something we're not. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there is this surge in black support for, for Donald Trump that's coming after the mugshot because black people just really love criminals, I guess. I don't know, though. It seems... It seems a little bit it's, like their wish. It's always thing. projection. It's a racist, it? racist, racist wish. Always projection. Like, feels like to me. <laughs> this is their conception of of African Americans, and yeah. Maybe we're wrong, though. Are you more in touch with the culture? Well, <laughs> no, um, I'm not. Uh, I I would say, look, this is one of these things that sounds incredibly dumb and racist on its face, and then uh, six months from now we see polling that backs it up, and we're all just like, what. The going on because that's what happens with Trump every time something with Trump happens. I like so I again I feel I feel very uncomfortable saying for sure that he will not see a bump in the African American vote. Doesn't seem likely. I mean he already if correct me if I'm wrong, he did already overperform with African American men in 2020, right? Is that am I am I misremembering? He there? did. He did. Maybe this further bolsters the brand with I, I don't know, but it, I will I, say this. Uh in the Raymond Arroyo case, uh, he was speaking to a woman, he said. Yeah, and, I don't believe uh, that we've for not a seen second. any we don't not seen any evidence of that <laughs> that he talks no, no, about no, no. a woman. I don't believe I don't believe for a second that Donald Trump being arrested helps him with African American women. That does not that does yeah. not track with me. But uh this is the problem with this whole theory. And I think there's a lot of things to be worried about. JVL, you can do your doomsday shtick next about why this is all bad. And maybe 
Donald Trump could tick up in, in a general election with working class black men. Maybe, maybe that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be because of the mugshot. But like black women turn out at a significantly higher rate than black men, like yes. two or three X. And black women went like 98.9 to, to, to <laughs> 0. 0.7 yeah. to 0. 0.3 for, for, for Joe Biden last time. And so I just, I, I'm not seeing it. I, um, I'm not seeing it. So you don't think that having months of Donald Trump insulting a judge who happens to be an African-American woman and insulting a prosecutor who happens to be an African-American woman down in Georgia. You don't think that's going to convince African-American women? I, no, I don't see it. But, you know, <laughs> crazy things happen. Sonny, here's your homework. I would like you to go, go up to as many African-American people as you can find today and say, excuse me, sir, as an African-American person of color, uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts about Donald Trump based upon his mugshot? Does it make you like him more because how hard he looks and because he is gangsta? <laughs> when you said that whole thing, my to... eyes started twitching. I just wanted you to. I just want you to know that I can't. I can't imagine anything that would make me more uncomfortable in the world than that series of questions. Again, I could come up with some the things. The world in which Jesse Waters and Raymond Arroyo initiated these conversations, right? Just walking up to, "Hello, fellow citizen." <laughs> Fucking assholes. Can I take over the host chair for a second? Where I thought you were going. I Go want ahead. to talk about the more serious. Other side of the commentary this week from our friend Mike Ludwig and others that we're going to be saved by uh, the 14th Amendment and that Donald Trump might be just uh, all of our problems might just be washed away. You know, How to solve authoritarianism with this one weird with trick. One weird, and I just I'm curious, JVL, you are so negative this week in your newsletter and all of the outcomes you said were bad. Is not the one good outcome secretaries of state across the nation uniting to say, sir, your, your candidacy is unconstitutional and we shall not accept you on the ballot. And instead, we will elect Joe Biden by commendation. That seems like I a good outcome. I think I am basically with David Frum on this, that that would be a disaster and maybe the worst of all possible outcomes, and is the kind of thing that could lead to armed insurrections. I'm not going to say civil war, but I think that would lead to a lot of people picking up guns and going out and shooting stuff. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's a terrible, terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Maybe Michael Luther could convince me, like, if we had him on the show and, like, he just went at me for 50 minutes, maybe he could win me over. But I don't think you can rely on a deus ex machina to prevent the polity from destroying itself, right? I mean, because if if the people are hell-bent on destroying themselves, then by God, they're going to do it. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably true no matter. I do say my one caveat is had on, I forget the date of the Republican Senate wussing out and not convicting Donald Trump and, and actually doing the one weird trick that would have saved us from all these problems, um, wouldn't have saved the party, but would have saved all of us from this. If the next day... Ludwig, like when certain secretaries of state had like filed a lawsuit that then was going to go up to the Supreme Court. That's like, actually, OK, the Senate went, went out, but like the courts need to step in here. And this because this was an insurrection, because he was impeached in the House under, you know, that they had used insurrection as one of the impeachment articles. Right. Then we take this to the Supreme Court. Maybe there was something there. I still think that that, you know, the stochastic violence element of this would still be a yeah. risk. But maybe there's something there. But at this point, like now, like with him as the overwhelming front runner. The only way this can work is if this was initiated by all of the Republican secretaries of states, right? Which of course is impossible. 
Come right. on, Secretary Brad. One more Texas. time at the plate, Brad. Well, like, you know, the secretaries of state in Texas and Florida and Ohio and Georgia, they are not the ones who are going to, to go and do this. And so for this to happen, you'd be relying on a bunch of Democratic states. It just seems like the worst possible option, maybe. I don't know. Sonny? Yeah, I mean, JBL, you're 100% right about the optics of this just in terms of, you know, the odds of increasing people storming capitals across the country. I feel like that is a very real possibility if that happens. I mean, this is this is a constant refrain in the uh, Trump era is this wish for somebody outside of the process to step in and say, Trump can't do this. He's just not allowed. And it's wish casting. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the 14th Amendment thing is wish casting that has no chance of succeeding in any in any real way. And the the maybe the worst case uh, scenario is you have a state that Trump is going to lose anyway, but only one like California, big state. Trump's going to lose anyway. California says Trump can't be on the ballot, which then gives permission for everyone everywhere just to say, well, popular vote doesn't matter at all anymore. Popular vote is dead, done. We're, we don't care about that anymore because California is playing these silly games with the, the the ballot rules. And I think that is also bad. I mean, we're, we're at a point where the, the popular vote has been kind of nullified anyway by the last couple Republican victories. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, I don't know. It's Maybe that's a dead issue anyway. But I, I do think that there is a further uh, danger to the erosion of norms to just be like, well, if California is not going to put the GOP candidate on the ballot, then who cares about popular vote anywhere? Yes. And I know we have at least one person in Democratic Secretary of State world who who is a bulwark person. Uh, and so please, yes, this this is literally the worst case scenario. My my prayer and message to any Democratic Secretary of State is if they try to do this in one blue state, like that is by far the worst possible outcome. You don't, you know, because you don't it plays do right into all of the Trump arguments. I mean, all the bullshit Trump arguments, obviously, but like why give them a credible law yeah. to put on the fire of bullshit? I do have to say, though, this is, again, Mike Ludig is smarter than I am and uh, has been Obviously. heroic been and amazing. brave throughout all of this. And none of this is a, like I said, if he came on the show and talked at me, I bet he could probably turn me around because, again, he's so smart. But I look at this and I just think yeah, this is, you know what it is, Sonny? It's Commissioner Gordon going up to Matthew Modine's character in The Dark Knight Rises and say, you know, and Matthew Modine says to him, you know, we, we gotta, just got to lay low and wait for the, the feds to figure this out. And Commissioner Gordon says, this only gets fixed from the inside, right? And that's what it is. Again, I think there are two different ways to look at this. Intellectually, I think it's an interesting argument. I think you could probably make the, you could absolutely make the intellectual case for the 14th Amendment scenario. I think that that is, that is a totally reasonable thing. I think the actual practical politics of it end in very ugly violence. And I, I would suggest we not try and go down that road. I will say I'm sure that our originalist Supreme Court that that truly believes that we need to follow the absolute letter of every word of the Constitution, particularly when it's regards to the Second Amendment. And, you know, we cannot do any interpretation. I'm sure they would they would rule the right way and be very consistent in their originalist interpretation of of the 14th. So we are a full week out now from the first Republican debate. And we've got a bunch of polling, and Tim is always right. What was it that you said? Yeah. You said there are no stakes, this does not matter, and the polling seems to suggest that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just want to say 
We appreciate it, everybody. I, I mean, I was right about this, so thank you. Um, we don't sell the T-shirt because, you know, I have some misses, too. Um, but I was absolutely right about this. It does call the Sarah is always right T-shirt into question, but since she's not here, I don't. we don't need to do that, But uh, that whole thing. But um, all of you who support the Bulwark and listen to all of our content and want to hang out with us, we are very grateful. But I got to tell you. You know, the hours upon hours of pre-debate commentary here, elsewhere, every media outlet, every cable news outlet was all totally unnecessary. Like you literally could have just, you know, read the Brothers Karamazov or something with your time and had it been more useful because the debate was meaningless, at which we knew. I, the debate was meaningful for one, for two people whose candidacies are meaningless. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, but Nikki Haley now has solidified, you know, I think as the as the leader in the 20% caucus that we talked about earlier. I think that she is going to she is going to bring in do- she, she would has have to get higher than 5% before she would be a leader in the 20% caucus. Probably, but she has brought in donor money. If you look at the polling numbers one week out, you look at the polling averages, she and Tim Scott have basically flipped. You know, uh, what you've seen is uh, Ron DeSantis went up by about one point in the polling averages. Uh, Vivek's gone up by about two points. Donald Trump's come down by about three points. But A, that's kind of noise. And especially if you compare it to the 2012 and 2016 campaigns, you would see huge jumps right after the debate, right? Like these, these debates really moved numbers. Now, not permanently, oh, yeah. you know, but but in the short term, like Carly Furian had that one good debate and she like led in New Hampshire for a poll, like uh, for in, in like in the immediate aftermath, right? Like Ben Carson after one debate, like went Newt, up really high. Right? Newt had one gigantic debate and he became Newtzilla. Yeah. yeah, his poll numbers went up 20 points. I mean, so, so again, that, that wasn't all staying, there wasn't staying power with all that, but you would see these huge jumps in the double digits that didn't happen for anybody and the only person that had meaningful fall and jump is tim scott and nikki and so now they flipped and so now you have things like in playbook this morning somebody uh our friend molly jong fast was texting me this morning that the trump advisors are saying watch out for nikki haley's momentum which shows you how scared they are uh (laughs) of her um you know and uh so you're gonna see these stories in politico and elsewhere and these people that places that have to fill content on labor day weekend about oh you know watch out for nikki some of our friends have written columns about this maybe you can see but it's like it's just an inverse of we already did this with Tim Scott in June, and, and like the facts are still there that there just aren't enough voters for somebody from that wing of the party to to make a real dent in, in Trump. And so you know we ended up with a debate where we're a week out, Trump's off stage, and if you haven't read my my report from the Louisiana GOP convention, uh, which I went to this past weekend, uh, one of the first speakers went on stage and she's like, "Y'all, I just got back from Milwaukee, and I got to tell you." I know who won that debate, but I don't know who you, what you guys think. So I want to hear what you think. And the crowd starts yelling, Trump, Trump, Trump. And she replies, well, I have to agree. <laughs> and uh, I got to tell you, those folks at the Cajun Dome were right. Essentially, Trump won the debate without going. A very minor tick in the polls, but, but meaningless in the grand scheme of things as far as denting his, his lead. Sonny, our uh, our friend, friend of the Bulwark, Matt Lewis, wrote a column this week saying that I forget what his exact formulation was. It was like Nikki Haley has shown that she's a threat to Trump or something like that. Your thoughts? I mean, Nikki Haley, I think Nikki Haley. Won- Nikki Haley is starting to look like a real threat to Trump. Nikki Haley okay. had the best debate and she had it entirely by dismantling Vivek in a way that was very entertaining to watch 
and uh, was very satisfying as somebody who dislikes him and dislikes his his brand of kind of isolationist, weird, whatever is going on there. But I make up approximately 0% of the GOP electorate. Um, and <laughs> and as a result, uh, I don't think it matters that much. I mean, look, I uh, the, the question I asked you guys before the show was, does this just demonstrate that Trump was a right to skip the debate and B will skip all of the rest of the debates. Like if I if you are on team Trump, do you let him go to any of these debates? No. The rest of, like way. what's the point? What why why we why even bother? If you do the debates, you acknowledge that it's a race. And if you don't do the debates and you're up by 40 points, it's a coronation. Like there there's barely even even choice, right? It's just he is he is the de facto nominee. And the numbers of these things, the numbers of people watching are just going to crater. I'm pretty sure the yeah. next one's on Fox Business. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not 100% sure about that. Maybe Sebastian check me if I'm, to make sure I'm right about that. Um, but I, I just, I think that the numbers on these things, if he keeps not showing up, you know, are absolutely going to die. And so, again, we'll give more credence to this notion yeah. of like there's no point in showing. It is on Fox Business, by the way. You made another point in the agreement that I think is worthwhile. Does it bring the general election debates into question, though? I don't think there's any reason to have it. I do think that we're kind of in a serious place where there won't be any general election debates. I wouldn't predict that, but I guess if I was, like, putting some odds on it, I think that the odds have increased substantially. Why should we have a debate for the general election? Because here, here's what the debates are for, right? The, the debates are to put two candidates together so that you could get a sense of how they might govern. And sometimes with the candidates, this is a, a notional idea about how they would govern. And sometimes it's only one of the candidates. Here, both guys have been president. We know how they'll govern. We've, we've just seen it. Like, what are you going to ask them? What thing could either of them possibly say that would move a vote? What's going to be interesting, though, is that the person who doesn't want to debate is probably going to flip because in the general, Trump's going to be down through the whole race and he is going to want to be oh, on I don't stage know about that, man. with I, I think. He, yes, I, I think I he, don't know about I mean, that. I, what, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think he I think he will be. And he will say a sleepy Joe Biden won't go on the stage with me. He'll try and bait the Biden campaign into doing it. And the Biden campaign's response will be, I would assume. Donald Trump didn't do any debates. I don't see any reason why we should. But also, like, he's an illegitimate candidate who's under trial. I don't debate felons. I don't. uh, Sure. (laughs) I mean, look, I don't know. I'm just saying I think the dynamics of the general shift slightly in terms of who is who is trying to debate and who is who doesn't want to debate. And I'm kind of curious if the Biden camp decides that it's better for them not to be on the stage with Trump. They could do one, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think one. I was just going to say, Sebastian put in the comments that Mona was saying that Biden is going to need a debate to show, you know, that he has the the vigor or whatever. Um, and that's probably right. I don't know. I, if I'm Biden, I might look at this and feel like I need to do one. Because right. otherwise, like Trump's whole campaign message is about nothing of substance. It's about like Biden is too senile to debate. And so... You know, the asymmetry there probably works to Biden's disfavor. But like, why do more than one? You know what I mean? I do. I do think that it, it gives a lot of cover for Biden to cut way back. So I want to ask something before we pivot out. I want to ask about Ukraine, because we essentially have a Republican Party that is schizophrenic on the question of Ukraine. We have I'm going to call it half the party, but maybe it's a little bit more than half. Maybe it's a little less than half, which says F the Ukrainians, we're kind of down with Pootie Poot, 
and uh, we got to cut off aid, right? Send send troops to the southern border so we can kill Mexicans instead of helping to kill Russians. That's clearly just more than half of the primary electorate. It's maybe half of like the total party, you know, because it's a different makeup, but it's clearly more Roughly than half right. of the, yeah. You then have the other side of the coin, which is the Nikki Haley's of the world who won't say that Joe Biden is doing a good job and instead attack the Biden administration. They have been a day late and a dollar short and they should have been giving more aid and we should have had, they should have been having F-35s over there. And I understand that, I guess. I guess and then you have Ron DeSantis who's doing both. Right, Ron DeSantis <laughs> is doing both. But what I don't understand is, so the Republican Party will have a nominee, and that nominee will be from one of those two camps, right? If the party is basically spit, again, maybe it's not 50-50, maybe it's 70-30, maybe it's 60-40. But if you are of the Joe Biden needed to do more, this is of critical importance, how could he be so weak and Donald Trump is the nominee, how could you vote for him? And vice versa, right? If you are on the, the 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 Trump side of this argument and Nikki Haley is the nominee, how could you possibly vote for her? Does anything matter, Sonny? I guess that's what I'm asking. Once again, you're you're positing a scenario that is involves approximately zero percent of the electorate, which is like the percent who considers foreign policy to be the most important thing the president does because it's the only thing he can do unilaterally, right? So like that is a thing that I think about a lot and would sway me to vote one way or the other. But I think the compartmentalization there is very easy for the average GOP voter who's just like, well, I disagree with Trump or Nikki Haley or whoever on Ukraine, but, you know, they're still going to get the right Supreme Court justices in there and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I like I don't think the schizophrenia you're describing is is a real thing that any GOP candidate needs to worry about. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. The inverse would play, I think, JVL, of what's actually going to happen, right? If Nikki Haley was the nominee, and this is why I kind of reject this whole notion that Nikki Haley would necessarily be stronger than Trump. Maybe she would be, maybe she wouldn't be there would be a significant portion of MAGA voters that would not vote for her. Not necessarily just about this issue, but this would be part of a bucket of issues where that they have serious, like, actual disagreements on. I mean, I think there are big parts of the, the Trump base that's just nihilist and like the fun, right? Yeah, but there, there, yeah, there'd be a bucket of issues where this would be a prime example where they'd be like, no, I'm not going to vote for this neocon, warmongering, pro-Israel woman for president. And I think that she would lose a certain percentage of the MAGA folks. For whatever reason, I do not use the word pejoratively, but the neocon class, like there have been some, you know, who bailed already in, in 2020. Like, there were a lot of, you know, we at Republican Voters Against Trump did the military, you know, former military members, et cetera, who spoke out. But the people who stuck around, I just think that that the preponderance of them have just made the calculation that that is not important enough to them, I guess. Tim, I, my question for you is, is there any candidate who doesn't inspire that stay-at-home factor in the MAGA bucket? Uh, so, I mean, there's, I guess, Vivek, maybe. Um, Vivek. Or, I, mean, I think DeSantis I, would inspire it less than, than Nikki. Unless uh, you know, Trump was openly hostile to DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a right. lot of potential questions, right? Trump openly hostile. But I think that the fact that Nikki is so strident and correct, by the way. And I was saying, when you were talking earlier about how it was so satisfying to see Nikki, it was kind of reminiscent of that Elizabeth Warren gutting Mike Bloomberg of the, of the, and the Democrats last time. It was like, this was very satisfying and, it, and it's going to help her in the polls for a week, but she's still not going to be the nominee. It was very satisfying because she's so strident and so clearly in the globalist, whatever, you know, 
uh, wink, wink, anti-Semitic word you want to use. She's basically a, a Biden Democrat. She yeah. is much closer to being a Biden Democrat than a Trump policy. Republican. She's a Bush Republican. She's a w, George W. Bush Republican. That's Which is closer to being a Biden Democrat than a Trump Republican. None of them understand it. And that's what the MAGA people would say. Wait, the MAGA people would say, and they're right. Yeah. So I do think that Nikki just has no chance where DeSantis is maybe able to do a little bit better. All right. Last topic, the hurricane. Hurricane, we, well, I guess the topic is just Florida. So we had a, another horrible mass shooting in Jacksonville over the weekend, motivated by a crazy racist who's trying to kill black people. Um, it's horrible. And then we have Hurricane Idalia headed towards Florida, headed towards the Gulf Coast, I guess. Um, it looks very bad. It's a big bang, big bang, really. Yeah. 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 Looks very, very bad. And uh, so, you know, like thoughts and prayers. I hope that people down there listen to, I mean, there, there is a little bit of cognitive dissonance, right? Now the government is like telling people to, to leave their homes and they should listen to those messages, but they shouldn't listen to messages from the government about wearing a mask or taking a vaccine. Okay, cool, cool. I do wonder, like, I'm only bringing this up because this is a political show, right? And so we gotta, but I don't know, like if it's really bad, and Joe Biden goes down to Florida to, like, unleash a ton of federal aid and try to work with the governor of Florida to, you know, help put things back together. Is Ron DeSantis going to have to, does he going to have Chris Christie in the back of his mind and the Chris Christie Obama stuff? And is he going to try to pick a fight with Biden over this stuff to make sure he doesn't look cucked? Sonny, I want you to think about that because um, it's an interesting thought. And I want to say, I think the first nice thing I've ever said about Tiny D on this podcast, um, which is he hasn't done that yet. And, and we're too, <laughs> it's, it's early though, but it's two days in and he had these dual crises. And, and I think it's, and this is what my not my party's on this week. I think it's very interesting because he leaves Iowa to come back to speak at the vigil after the racist mass murder at the Dollar General. And he gets booed and there's a lot of dunking on that on social media. And, you know, people nitpick it like he didn't say the word racist, but he did say that, you know, that this person was motivated by hatred, you know, of a race or something. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he did, you know, say, say the word race. And he knew that it wasn't going to be a friendly crowd. And he went there anyway, which is the thing you're supposed to do when you're the governor. Yep. And he went home anyway, and he's been having these press conferences about the hurricane, which, you know, he hasn't been suggesting people shoot bleach into the body, you know, or anything crazy um, during these press conferences thus far. And it's the tiniest bar, but it is it is a, the normal way that our governing should work. It also, and I think this speaks to your question prospectively about what's to come, but the booze and the way he's been treated about it also is a bed that he made, right? And, and I think this is something that a lot of folks, you know, that I've just not been able to break through to, my old friends who still do Republican campaigns and like still subscribe to the, oh, this is a big game and, oh, this is a troll and it's funny. And it's like when Ron DeSantis is out there trolling the NAACP and picking fights about the African-American history, you know, whatever the detail, whatever the details are about that, the gerrymandering shit, moving people in Jacksonville, actually, you know, uh, uh, diminishing the power of the black vote, not doing the stuff Jeb used to do, going to into black community to talk about schools and how we can improve schools. Not like really, and maybe he does that in secret, but like not like making that part of his brand about how I'm going to engage 
when you don't do this stuff, when you troll marginalized groups and like think it's really funny and 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 you know send people to Martha's Vineyard as part of a big joke, then when something happens in those communities, the people aren't going to fucking listen to you and they aren't going to trust you, right? Like words do have consequences, right? There are actual you know, these things do matter. And I think that to your point, when you're saying don't, you can't trust the government about vaccines and, oh, you know, I'm going to insult black history and, oh, the woke goes to die here, then certain people aren't, you know, aren't going to listen to you. And, and so I think that on the one hand, so far, DeSantis has done the right thing and, and whatever, he should be recognized for that. But like the long tail consequences of like the Trump brand of politics taking over everything, like show that like in these times of crisis, like it matters, like it matters, it, it does matter. Just so we get the record straight, DeSantis said, we are not going to let people be targeted based on their race. Sonny? What is DeSantis's pitch in this election? DeSantis's pitch in this election is I am competent Trump, right? Uh, so he, he goes back to Florida and he does, as, as Tim says, he does the right things. He's there to help with hurricane preparedness. He's there to manage the emergency response. He's there to go to the Jacksonville rally and speak, even though he knows he's going to be booed. I would suggest that that actually helps him with the GOP base showing up there and getting booed and having the NAACP say bad things about him. I think that's actually like he gets yelled at and it's awkward for him for a minute and he does his teeth grinding Homelander thing, but it, it helps him. It helps him overall in, in with the party. The hurricane response is going to be very interesting for the reasons JVL suggests, which is that there will be aid from the federal government. Joe Biden is going to come down and tour the devastated areas. It's not like DeSantis is going to say, don't send money here to Florida. We, you can't do that. That's not, he's not going to say that. The question is, will they appear together at some sort of event? And I can't see DeSantis doing that for the reasons JBL suggests, right? That's the Chris Christie trap. You you got, he's hugging Obama, right? That was the knock on Christie and the, the debate from Vivek, I think. I also think DeSantis is a clever enough politician to be like, well, you know, he's doing an event up here. I'm I'm putting sandbags up out here. I'm not going to, you know, I, I can't pull myself away from this to go do a photo op. I would assume that's what happens. It's not even the photo opness of it that I worry about. So we had this happen already, right? This is the the famous, you know, Ron DeSantis in the, the high white rubber boots was, was at a thing that Biden right. was there. You know, there's pictures of Biden speaking and DeSantis is on stage staring into space and pictures of like, you know, Biden clapping MAGA people on the, you know, MAGA residents on the shoulder and laughing at them. You can see, you know, you can see DeSantis in the background, like glowering. That, that photo is so great. If people haven't seen it, Sebastian, put it in the show notes of like Biden, like back slapping at some bikers while like Ron DeSantis looks like that he's angry that someone didn't bring his lunch on time. It's like such a hilarious photo. Because there is a lot of cooperation that has to happen between the state government and the federal government during disasters. They have to work together, right? And is DeSantis going to allow the state government to work together and then give credit to Biden? Or is he going to do what he does and then say, uh, Biden screwed us, Biden screwed the people of Florida? Who knows? I don't know. But I mean, again, the, the pitch on DeSantis, the, DeSantis's whole campaign is, I get things done. I am, I'm the competent guy who is going to, you know, and, and you can't, you can't square that with like also rejecting aid from, from the feds. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't work. And maybe he tries to spin it later as like, oh, well, you know, we did this and the feds sent money to this community that we didn't want. We needed it over here. I, I don't know who can say it's, it's hard to guess. There is another element to this, um, that is political that, that is going to come to a head in the fall. 
and that is the continuing resolution on spending. Because there's been some chatter in the Republicans about threatening to shut down, you know, the government coming the fall. And already Rick Scott was out there saying that he wants a clean disaster relief bill to like cover disaster. I think he said that already uh, the, uh, this morning, Wednesday morning, maybe it was Tuesday afternoon. And, um, you know, already some Democrats are like, no, I mean, like Ukraine's got to be in there and whatever, like funding the, IRA, funding the stuff that we've already you know, past has got to be in there, right? There's a series of other things. And so now DeSantis isn't on the Hill, so he's not going to run into that question about how to vote for all this. But like, there will be a series of inflection points where you're going to have to figure out whether or not you're going to play ball with Biden. Sometimes these things are cleaner, right? Where like, like the feds send the money in and like, you don't, there's no, there's no really opportunity to kind of like, to weigh in on, on whether it's too much or not enough. Um, that's that's not going to be the case this time. He's going to have to say something about the Biden administration response. You guys aren't going to want to hear this, but I think that this all winds up being good for Trump because Trump has no obligations to actually do anything or to work with the federal government. And he can simply come down and throw out some MAGA hats to people and throw them some toilet paper or, you know, paper towel rolls like he did in Puerto Rico uh, and say, uh, you know, what what Biden has done is disgraceful. It's, you know, we would have handled this much better. And, you know, if I we would have made the hurricane go the other way, we would have blown up some of the bombs. We talked about bombs many times, the generals, their big, beautiful bombs. And we'd have pushed that hurricane into one of the blue states. And I just, I just think that Trump is going to try to Obamify and Christify DeSantis on this no matter what. And he will be successful. And. It's all bad. We're all doomed. Can I throw out one other thing about this? I don't know that this has an acute political influence right now, but I I do think that it bears mentioning that the Gulf is the hottest it's ever been. Like right now, when this hurricane is happening, um, this area of Florida has not been hit with a hurricane in like 200 years. We discussed earlier how meaningless the first Republican debate is. And I do think that it, it was meaningless, particularly in the Republican primary. But we spent plenty of time on this podcast and others in 2020 talking about how Democrats had these hand raised questions that like hurt the Democrat brand. You know, things like, oh, should we decriminalize the border? And I'm going from memory. But I think like only Biden and, and Pete were like, I don't, I don't know, yes, we should totally decriminalize correct. the border. Um, this happened at the debate, right, where they're like, do you think that climate change is real and something we need to deal with? No hands were raised. And it was the question was from a kid who's associated with the YAF, which is one of the super ultra conservative young Republican organizations. Right. So this wasn't like it was from some, yeah. you know, nose ring pronoun wearing hipster or something. It was right. from a, you know, a Trump 20 something. Yeah. And, Sorry, I, and so no, no, that's it's important. And that DeSantis kind of was mean to the kid yeah. in the response, <laughs> and, and in his response, and nobody raised their hand. Like, is that going to be the most indelible image ever from this campaign? Probably not. But I, I do think that it, it is going to continue to be something that hurts whoever the nominee is, Trump or DeSantis, with the types of voters that put Joe Biden over the edge in the Atlanta suburbs and stuff like this. Like people that live, and now Florida is not really a swing state anymore, but like people that live in the Atlanta suburbs, you live in the Phoenix suburbs that are dealing with the hottest summer ever. Like, you know, maybe they're not on board with the whole Green New Deal, but like they think that you're a lunatic. They think that you're a complete lunatic if you can't just say that climate change is a problem that we need to do something about. We're out this Sunday. We're taking a break this Sunday. So there'll be no Sunday show for Labor Day. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Read a book, get a tan, whatever. 
We will be back. We have a full lineup for September. It's a good lineup. Um, we have fun people and interesting people coming your way. If you did not listen to Marie Glusenkamp Perez last Sunday, created a little bit of a stir. You know, uh, her Ooh. old opponent, Joe Kent, was listening to was tweeting at me about how I called him a Nazi during the interview and how the fact that he groveled in front of teenage Nazis does He's not, not make him a Nazi. A Nazi. Tim. He just grovels before Nazis <laughs> and asks no. them to be nice to him and support him. It's a very, very important distinction. Some of the progressive folks are mad at MG, MGP for something she said. She voted against the student loan bill and some others. So anyway, create a little a little buzz. Check it out if you haven't. I think she's super interesting. And, uh, you know, you can you can listen to that one this Sunday instead. And then we'll be back on, on normal schedule post-Labor Day. Also, go give a listen while you're on Labor Day weekend to Sonny's Bulwark Goes to Hollywood Archive, one of his two shows. I also like his other show, Across the Movie Aisle. That's great. But Bulwark Goes to Hollywood is... Right up there with Shield of the Republic as my two favorite sleeper bulwark products. It's really sensational. And oh, go go you. just like pull through the archive. It's full. Sonny gets like these big, powerful, important people to come on his show and has long form discussions with them. And if you care about the entertainment industry, it's really, it's very cool. Thank you. Concur. All right. Good show. Long show. Everybody, we will see you next week. Bye. Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day.